You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome everyone to the 602 Club. I am very excited to be here for this supplemental as we are going to be talking through a brand new Star Wars book um, that will be happening a few times this year as we make our way to The Last Jedi. But actually, this book has really nothing to do with The Last Jedi, so don't get your hopes up. But before we dive into that, I just want to remind everybody that uh, here you can find all of the shows that we do on Trek FM all over the place. But the best place to find us is where we're a feature provider over on Apple Podcasts. You can find all the shows we do and, a pl- and of course, the 602 Club. And so while you're there, make sure you give us a star rating and review. Um, it's definitely been helping more and more people fund the show. The show has been doing fantastic for uh, numbers-wise, I mean, uh, five months in a row, we have been over 10,000. So thank you so much, guys. Uh, and uh, you can find us all over the place on online. You can find us on Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. We do have our listeners-only discussion group, and that's the Babel Conference on Facebook. Uh, if you're on Facebook, just type Babel in the search field there. Or if you're on our website at Trek.FM, click Discussion on any of the show page menu bars and last but not least, you know, if you would like to uh, send us an email, go over to trek.fm slash contact, choose a show, choose the 602 Club, and that will come straight to me and any hosts that week. But you don't even know who the next hosts are this week. Uh, so I got some incredible gentlemen here to talk about Battlefront 2 Inferno Squad. He's back. It's been a little while, but I'm so glad to have him. You know his wife, who does all of our Bond episodes these days, Christy Morris. But with us now, the one and only Michael Morris. Thank you. I'm sure everyone's probably like, dang it. <laughs> I, thought, Where's I thought we Christy? were getting Christy, but... Uh. <laughs> yeah, the, the more bearded one of the two. You don't know. Sometimes she... It's a fake beard. She has a faux beard. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Well, I don't want to know. Uh, nobody needs to know that. Uh, <laughs> Bruce, come in, save us, hurry. So I just trimmed my beard. It's really <laughs> short today. So um, I was trying to get that in-between Michael Christie look. Oh, nice. Excellent. Well, good, good job. Good job. Thank you. Um, so I wanted to just dive right in with both of you guys. Uh, this one here, you know, it's another book based off of or loosely based off of you know the battlefront series and uh you know the first one i really enjoyed i enjoyed twilight company a lot and so coming into this it had two things going for me one i enjoyed the first battlefront book two christy golden's dark disciple is probably still my favorite book in the new canon so i was riding pretty high coming into this book and I was wondering where you guys were um Michael what about you where what were you thinking as we came into Inferno Squad so I had when it was initially announced I had no interest in it I was like okay it seems sort of you know we didn't have a lot of information but I was like okay it seems a little bland a little meh okay whatever and then I was uh with a, a another friend of all of ours uh William Devereaux at the uh, battlefront panel and then they announce it and they're putting they're kind of talking about stuff and i'm like wait it's that what i'm like oh my gosh i'm like wait is this did i not catch this that the inferno squad is battlefront and then they're like yeah so the way they announced it sort of confused me because i felt like maybe they had announced it beforehand that it was uh, a battlefront tie-in um but apparently they didn't it was just it had been announced it was inferno squadron and then they announced that and then we got to see everything uh with you know uh, Aiden and and all of that so i was really pumped about that uh but i wasn't 
I was still kind of uncertain as to what the book might be. What about you, Bruce? Where were you with this one? Well, the first Battlefront book, I wasn't really expecting much, and I found myself really enjoying it. So now the second one was coming out, and Christy Golden on top of that, and I thought, okay, this might be really good. I don't want to get my hopes up too high. Who knows how it's going to go and if it's going to be all that good or not because it is based on a video game and those are kind of hit and misses. But the author and the fact that I like the first book, I know she didn't write the first book, but those were things that are going in the right direction for me. But third, seeing the Battlefront 2 trailer for the video game look really exciting. And to actually see the characters that are going to be represented in the book was really cool. So I started to get really pumped for it. And uh, was really looking forward to reading it. But again, I was like, okay, don't get your hopes up. It might not be all that great. Just just kind of go into this like, oh, look, it's a little Star Wars book. Let's go read that for now and not get our hopes up. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you in that sense. Like, you know, any of the books, I try not to get so overly excited or pumped that, you know, I, I would be let down just because my expectations were way too high. I will say that this one was a little bit harder just because, you know, I really have liked Christie's writing so far. And uh, she had set the bar pretty high, I felt like, with Dark Disciple. In fact, it is kind of the book that I judge all of the new canon by, really. And it's been hard to usurp that spot. You know, there's been some amazing books that are kind of like right up on that level. But that one always seems to still rise to the top for me. So... The other thing that was really interesting was just kind of the story setup, is how we're following the Empire after Scarif and then the loss of the Death Star, and they're kind of reeling. And I thought that that was a really great place to kind of set this story, to create this kind of, I don't know, Imperial A-team, basically. Yeah, for sure. You're, I love how you say A-team, because that's what it does feel like. I mean, we don't have, you know, a Mr. T type character in this group. <laughs> Which is disappointing, well, you know? I pity the Darth. <laughs> I pity the Rebel. Um, so, yeah, that was, I had actually texted uh, Bruce, you know, a, a few days ago uh, about it. And I said, because the book was not at all what I actually expected. I expected a war novel. And it really wasn't that. It was more like Double O Star Wars. Yeah, because they're yeah. like secret agents. They're on missions and they're, you know, in disguise. And it's not like your typical Star Wars story. It reminds me of, do you remember that comic that it was like Imperial Agent or something like that? I, I don't, I, and forgive me, Star Wars fans, they'll they'll tweet me how stupid I am. Um, but it was that uh, comic series that Dark Horse did about the Imperial Agent. Uh, and he was basically like the Imperial James Bond. Um, and I thought, you know, going into this, I wasn't necessarily expecting a war novel, but I wasn't sure. I mean, I didn't go in knowing a ton. I did that on purpose. I like, I don't really want anything spoiled in this book for me. I just want to kind of go in fresh. But the fact that it became a like a spy team, and that's you know, like this kind of a team, I thought was a really great idea, and it also made sense. Because it was almost as though the Empire was responding specifically to what happened with what we saw in Rogue One. Like, realizing we need this kind of team. We, we need this top-notch, you know, uh, team that can kind of work on the outside and infiltrate not only something like the Partisans, but also the Imperials. Um, which I thought was really interesting that half of this book is is them not so worried necessarily about the partisans at the beginning. It's it's like they're trying to plug up all these leaks that they're getting in the Empire. Um, and I thought that was really, um, that, that was just really cool. And, and again, like Michael said, it's kind of a little bit unexpected, but it ends up working out. Oh, yeah. So well, yeah. I no, I, I enjoyed it. I just it wasn't at all what I had thought in my head initially. Um, but and beside that, though, I was really, really surprised at how much this tie this book ties in with other stuff. Um, you know, previous to this, I'd been reading um, Rebel Rising, 
and I, I felt like that uh, Christy Golden had as well. You know, I just I felt a, a lot of connections to that. Uh, definitely a lot of connections to Rogue One. And then, of course, um, some Clone Wars stuff as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think I told someone that, too. And I don't know, maybe maybe it was you, Michael. I don't know. But I said, you know, I told someone that, you know, if you like Rogue One, if you like Rebel Rising, if you like the Clone Wars, then this is a great book that mm-hmm. fits into that really well. It does a lot of callbacks to that. And yeah, you know, the fact that this is a group of Imperial agents, you're so used to stories that it's them against the rebels. And we do get that later in the book, but I like how it took time to, well, you know, we're going within our own community. We're going within the, the Imperial people that aren't doing right for the empire. And so we're stepping in to take care of them. So it's cool to see them working within the inside of the empire because it goes to show that whether you're an imperial or rebel, you can still be an enemy of the empire. Well, and, and I think that's, what's so interesting about the the book too, is, you know, in this, the story they're they're, they're kind of surprised when they see, certain imperials doing things for their own personal gain but it it, which is so funny to me because you know we kind of know the empire to be this place where everybody is you know kind of looking out for number one you know um and as long as they don't get caught uh that the the emperor kind of doesn't care it doesn't seem like really cares you know um and I, I was just, uh, it was interesting to see this, these people who are like kind of so sold out for the Empire, this Inferno squad, and then them kind of judging people who are using the Empire for their own gain, uh, and as like, oh, how could they do that? But yet, when we, what we see of most Imperials, that's who they are, you know, and, and Palpatine seems to kind of use that to his advantage in the end, you know, dog-eat-dog world that it is, or... You know, I, I guess they don't really have dogs in Star Wars, but, you know, uh, you know, uh, whatever those things were on Loth Tatooine. Cat eat Loth Cat. Yeah, Loth Cat, <laughs> you know, eat Loth Cat world. Uh, so I thought that was, again, it was just something really fascinating to kind of see uh, the, the different attitudes throughout the Empire. And in this story, you really get the opportunity to kind of dig into... W- what imperials and different imperials think and it's not all the same thing and i i just again this was we've had a lot of imperial minded books especially like with lost stars comes to mind um but you know this is this is one where i feel like we we got to dive even further into that and and that's you know to me the way christy does it it it, it's just kind of done perfectly because um it leaves you I don't know. It just I it left me kind of wanting more, uh, definitely more with Inferno Squad. You know, like uh, spoiler alert: we're going to spoil everything in this book. So uh, <laughs> if you're listening to this and you haven't read it, I'm sorry, but yeah, most of them survive. So um, I'm excited to see. Hopefully, that maybe she'll get a, to do a follow up with this. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that that was her greatest achievement was uh, be- because I've I've said beforehand. I'm like, you cannot do a story with the bad guy as as the lead it just doesn't work um and i i feel like she sort of went in with that mindset and and figured out how to make it work um because it's uh, just the i don't know the the inside you know the the inner workings of the imperial brains it, it's very complex to to try to figure out okay how how do they work this way and not see themselves as the bad guys, you know? And, and I feel like she did that very well and, and it's, and you get it and you're like, okay, I, I get that. I think that having them go up instead of going against rebels, having them go against the partisans was great because, um, they can see, you know, they can see more of, uh, an enemy there and and not feel like the the villain themselves and then also i like that uh that mirror reflection uh, and i found it very interesting even how and and they even address it a little bit later where she's talking about like you know where she's justifying killing children um on Alderaan she's like well they're going to grow up to be rebels but then 
you know, when it's flipped around for Imperials, what's the worst thing ever, you know? So I just, I thought the, um, I guess the ideologies were, were very interesting. And, and I think she, she really put a lot of thought into, okay, how can this person live their life like this? You know, like what has to be going through their head? What, you know, what sort of background do they have to come from? You know, I really, I, I like that you bring that up. Michael, because the the whole idea of the the moral ambiguity of this story, I think, is the thing that makes it so interesting. Because again, like you said, you're following the villains, right? And and in some ways, Christy Golden's greatest achievement in the book is to make you be able to feel for the villains and understand their motivation and why they think themselves the heroes, and at the same time. To, to make you feel completely uncomfortable with what they're willing to do. And, and, and in a lot of ways, it's, it's almost as if they, they can't see how their own stance invalidates itself. You know, like, right, like, right. Because, the, the you know, of, yeah, yeah, absolutely. The hypocrisy of it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, um, one of the arguments that the partisans make about the, the you know, there aren't any innocent children in the empire, which is the exact same thing that her father, Iden's father, had said to her, which is, the child of a rebel may be a child yet, but we must look to the future and it will grow up to be an enemy and our enemies must be destroyed. Yep. Like That's his own words. Like So it's so interesting because this is something that, that really, like... The Empire set the bar really high, right? With 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 uh, being able to feel morally superior to it, as long as you don't blow up an entire planet, <laughs> right? But the moment that you start doing something like this, like killing children, yeah, that moral superiority really starts to go away in a war, and and that's where the difference between the partisans and the Empire, like you said, the mirroring and and how they this whole thing of like do you really just fight fire with fire is utterly fascinating to me because you get lost like there really isn't a good guy it's just this moral quandary this this quagmire that we get stuck in because nobody's willing to kind of take the high road in this and i i found that just to me that part is is the part where I think Christy Golden nails it. Yep. And I, I do feel like though though they were subtle and, and though their actions were um were terrible from, from both sides, that the you know, the, the partisans or, or the dreamers were acting more uh, you know, where they came from and, and what was sort of um you know motivating them was a little more uh, selfless and understanding rather than the empire, you know, the imperial side, which um, stems more from, you know, growing up without any any sort of love, you know, almost um, of them being, you know, it's like I think like, oh, I've heard about this love, but I'm not I'm not quite sure I've ever actually experienced it type of thing, you know, and, and without having that, you know, completely growing their, their life up that way and um, being sort of um indoctrinated into the empire and and what you know what it's being held up as and everything you kind of see how they sort of just overlook the you know the uh hypocrisy of of their actions and and when they're justifying things that you know anyone else should say no I know that's mm-hmm. wrong you know it's yeah. uh like I said, their, their actions are, are sort of motivated that way. And then even sometimes selfishly, like, uh, you know, like they talk about uh, Gideon mentions, you know, he mentions basically like he's upset because he loves flying, but he's like, oh, but Iden's better than me. And then, you know, at that point, you know, and he can't just be like, yeah, I'm I'm a really good pilot. He's like, well, she's better. And, the, you know, and that sort of like ruins it for him. Who And she's supposed to be his closest friend, you know. And and that's the thing is that the only thing about their friendship is that we're told, you know, and, and, and like by the characters like, oh, well, you know, that's the closest thing to a friend I have. But then you're like, I don't I don't think you understand what that word means. <laughs> like you two don't seem like you care for each other very much, you know, but in in your 
twisted little world, then yeah, I guess that is the closest thing you have to a friend. But uh, point being, like I said, the the mirror to that is, like I said, I feel like that some of the the actions of of the um, the dreamers, at least, you're like, oh, well, okay, they're they're doing a terrible thing, but I understand their family was killed. You know, like they've they've really went through this tragedy. So it's just like I said, just inf- interesting the uh, the psychological element of this completely throughout the book. Well, it's like all parties are twisted in this, the good guys and the bad guys. And what I liked about the book is no one felt like a no one really felt like a bad guy, even though at the same time they all were. Like, you know, it's like the the rebels that we're dealing with are not the most moral of rebels out there. And then the agents that we have in the Empire are just good soldiers doing what they need to do. But they all have the reasons to do what they're doing, and there's a certain logic behind it. And I understood it in all cases. And it was really strange when I'm rooting for the Empire over the rebels. But then at the same time, there's times I was rooting for the rebels over the Empire. And in both cases... Both of those groups are wrong in how they're doing things. So it's it was a really odd situation for me to read this because it felt like the good guys are bad, but the bad guys think they're doing good, and I'm rooting for someone, and it, it was just a strange experience. It was like there's a lot of depth brought to the Empire in this book, a different way of looking at things. When you're inside, all of a sudden it clouds the things that you're used to because now you're in something different and then the logic behind what they do, you start to understand it. And then you get worried that you're understanding that because now you're like, wait, why am I sympathizing with the bad guys and rooting for them? That, that was a really cool thing. Well, there's that whole, uh, there's a whole part at the very end of the book where, you know, they've basically quote unquote won, you know, over the dreamers and Aiden comes back to the other part of the camp and finds that Gideon has killed all of the rest of the dreamers. And she just goes off on him. She's like, that was not necessary. We're, yeah. we're cleaners. We're not assassins. We're not murderers. And then she yells at him. She says, we're not dreamers. Or have you gotten so caught up in Staven's bloodlust that you've forgotten you're an Imperial officer? And what she's saying, again, like we were talking about earlier, there's just this dripping hypocrisy with it. Like, what are you talking about? The Empire destroyed an entire freaking planet. Yeah. Like, so is that what it means to be an Imperial officer? So it's so interesting because there's this desire to find some superiority and 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 yet again the empire has really set the bar so high that it's kind of hard to find any superiority whatsoever uh, ever morally and and that's the i think again that's the really interesting thing and what i kind of love about this book is it it does kind of explain even better exactly why the rest of the rebel alliance distances themselves from Saul's group. Yes. Right. That really and how important made it that clear. was a, to make because uh, one of the things that they they argue here uh one of the arguments that gets kind of thrown around in this book was just uh, the Clarion call that the Death Star kind of is and its destruction of Alderaan and how that kind of galvanizes a lot of people to to wanting to join the rebellion. Um, and the kind of mistake that that might have been for the Empire. And as long as the Rebel Alliance can keep itself in a place that is morally superior and seen as a kind of a beacon of light, it will draw more people to its cause. But the partisans really are never going to do that because they're never going to be able to have that moral superiority. They're never going to be able to to be a real beacon of light because they're doing the exact same things the Empire are doing. And they're doing it for good reasons, but they're still doing the wrong thing. And that still makes it the wrong thing. But isn't that and the way how things always are? Like you have groups of people and they all might believe and have the, the same things and have the same cause, but they don't all do it and approach it in the same way. Some people do it the right way, and some people do it the wrong way. So a lot of times you can't just point to a group and say, oh, that group does things wrong, 
because some people, you maybe you believe in their ideals or maybe you don't, and you may believe in what their agenda is and maybe you don't, but there's some people in that group that fight for the right reasons and do it the right way and others that don't. I mean, sometimes it's offensive uh, when you can even look within your own political affiliation and you see people doing things in the wrong way and you're like, okay, that's not a reflection of who I am, even though we're in the same party and the same belief. Well, and that's something I think really is is an interesting thing because there's this whole bit about truth and hope and hate and like what is it that the rebellion is built on is it built on truth is it built on hope is it built on hate and the mentor tells Aiden he says you know that's something that the empire doesn't understand there's always hope Aiden hope that if you speak the truth long enough the right person will hear it and they will know it as truth and he tells her that you know you you have to cling to hope that's really all we have and that without hope it's the root of everything we believe in, and without it, we're nothing. And what's so interesting about that, though, I think, is that if if you're looking at the partisans, even if they're speaking the truth about the empire, aren't their actions making it hard for other people to hear the message because of what they're seeing? And that's what differentiates the partisans and the dreamers from the rebel alliance yeah i that's kind of what i'm getting at too it's the message gets lost sometimes on the way that people push their message and the way they do their actions and then people focus more on what the action that was taken and not what the message is they're trying to get across so it gets lost or people get offended by what was done and not really what is trying to be said except for Pcal he was always a beacon of truth this is this is true this <laughs> is very true well um and and that's something too because there uh, you know there's this whole thing where different partisans believe different things and the mentor definitely believes in this idea of hope uh and you know whereas Staven is really driven by hate mm-hmm. and it was interesting to me because the the conversation of you know which one's going to be more effective i think this book just answers so clearly without necessarily having to like lay out the answer for you it just shows you what the answer is is that hate can't truly hate cannot be the foundation that you build a rebellion on it cannot be the thing that you you build a movement on it has to be something bigger, which is why I think in the end hope does win out. Uh, because what we see here is that the, the hate the partisans have kind of destroys them from within too. Like it's it's not just that they're fighting the empire, but they're fighting among themselves because they're all allowing that hate to kind of consume them in a really dangerous way, and it and it ends up hurting. Uh, their group, and it, it kind of ends up being their undoing, too. And I think that was something that was really interesting to see, again, of why the Dreamers and the Partisans don't last, and it's the Rebel Alliance that does. Another thing, too, that I, I thought was interesting, just from the uh, psych- psychological standpoint, was the whole uh, double agent thing, or uh, basically them constantly trying to complete their mission and so trying to get closer and closer, and then when that line starts to blur between them, and, you know, you, you sort of start getting the, um, you know, they, they start, sort of start pairing off, and you start seeing their mirrored uh, version of themselves, like uh, with Staven and uh, Hask and um, Pikau and, and uh, Dell and, and so forth. You know, I, I found that very interesting, and I I even had myself, you know, I was thinking, I'm like, how how could you do that? Like, how could I go into a group and, you know, it, it be, become friends with them knowing that I'm there to, to work against their, you know, their best interest. And I just, like I said, the, the part is that what you're doing now? Yes. I'm here to destroy specifically you, Bruce. Um, but no, the, the compartmentalization of that to me was just fascinating. Well, and I I love that you're bringing that up because there's a whole point where 
Dell tells Aiden, he says, they're rebels. They're not people. We can't think of them like that. And if we do, we can't finish what we came here to do. And the moment that you allow somebody to be humanized, whether the character is human or not, obviously in Star Wars, they're not all human, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying, uh, is that that's the moment where this becomes an impossible mission. Like you're saying, like right. if you allow yourself to be able to see these people as something other than what you labeled them that allows you to treat them however you want to, then you're in trouble as a secret agent, you know, uh, and, and you're not going to be able to do those things. And so I, I love that you brought the, that up, Michael, because I think that's, that's something we see in our world and that's a, that's a great message and it's a scary one because the moment you, somebody becomes a rebel and that means that you can kill them or you can kill their children and it, it, it doesn't have any consequence other than a good pat on the back. Uh, because you've done what you need to do to a rebel, um, and because they're not really a person, then that's really dangerous, right. you know. But can it be the opposite way? I mean, do the rebels look at the imperial agent? Well, not just agents, but anybody in the empire as being people. I mean, stormtroopers all wear masks. We don't see a face. Yeah, but I mean, I think that's like I said, talking about the you know the mirrored. I think that. Um, you know, Hask and uh, or Gideon, uh, whichever he gets, he swaps around a lot in the book. But um, between him and um, uh, I want to call him Sagan, but that's not right. Um, now I've forgotten the other guy's name. I uh, just said it earlier. Um, Stagen, Staven, Staven, Staven. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, they both don't have. You know, they don't see the other side as being human and all the way up to the end, you know, um, Hask is like, I got a surprise. Check it out. I killed everybody. And it's like, what the crap, you know? So I, I thought that was interesting having those two characters in there and, and that they weren't changing just to, um, I don't know, just to sort of show that, um, you know, there is like, even within the, the factions, there are those people that, they're just going to cling to that, and you know it's just easier to live that way, I guess. So when you were reading this book, did you get to a point where you thought that our Imperial agents were going to be sympathetic to the rebels and then kind of turn over a new leaf and all of a sudden either abandon the Empire or just realize that they're doing something wrong? Like, I kept expecting that was mm -hmm. where this book was going to go, where they're, you know, once once you start incorporating yourself into a group and and that group's exp expressing their opinions and where they're coming from all of a sudden you know they may the agents might have a certain understanding of of what the rebels are doing and and maybe not realize all the pain that they've gone through and all of a sudden become more sympathetic to them and start to realize gosh maybe what we're doing isn't right and i thought that's where the book was going to go and that's not really what happened <laughs> And I'm kind of glad that Christy stuck to her guns that, you know, this is what the Imperial agents believe. And even though they're integrated with these rebels, their opinion still isn't changing. It can't just change that quickly. Well, I, I yeah, the I mean, basically up to the very end, I thought that Dell was going to end up, um, you know, changing sides. You know, um, I didn't think it was going to go there. But I did think that maybe there would be some impact for some of them. So that not not that that would happen in this book, that but that that might be a possibility down the road if these characters lived, you know, um, which I definitely could see a couple of these characters that happening. And, you know, the two main characters that, for Inferno Squad, where that could happen are Dell and Aiden, because they're the ones who both bond the most with uh, the Dreamers and have somebody that they really connect with. And actually, Aiden is responsible for sparing one of their lives. Yep. Uh, and I think that, again, she plants the seed that. There could be a moment where Aiden or somebody like Dell does make that turn. Um, and I think that was... And, and uh, 
I think that you would say her name Sien or Sen. Uh, Sen, I think, also would have made that turn maybe one day, but of course she doesn't make it. Right. Yeah, and, and that so. was kind of, because that all sort of snowballed um, so quickly because she, I kind of felt like she was almost uh, a, a sociopath, you know, where she's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, well, I'm... Um, I'm romantically involved with him, but whatever, you know, it, like she just completely uh, turned that side off up until the very end. And then it's like, I guess it, um, it all built up and she was unable to, um, to deal with it. And that's what sort of became her downfall. Well, and, and I think that was so interesting for her too. I mean, this, this, this whole Inferno squad is, is such an interesting group of characters, but for him, her having that, you know, uh, photographic memory where she remembers, everything uh you know that's the thing that really impacts her in the end and it allows her to or it really impacts her because she has that what happens with sendori the one that you know she's pretending to be in a relationship with and she'll never be able to forget she'll always be able to recall every single moment perfectly Whereas other people who don't have this type of like her her gift of memory is also the nightmare that she would live with for the rest of her life, and it is interesting the way in which that kind of history in would impact a, a character because she won't ever be able to forget history. It's always there with her, and how important that would be in the end, and and why I think she might turn if she hadn't died, and so. I don't know the, these characters that they create for Inferno Squad. I felt like for the most part were really deep, and and what was great is they were they were so dynamic, uh, which is wonderful because you know so many times uh, bad guys are are kind of one dimensional, but these are anything but really. Right. That's why I'm saying they didn't feel like bad guys to me, and it really was an odd feeling to realize I'm rooting for the bad guys as I was reading this book. I think Hask and Miko, um, those two seemed very similar to me. I don't know if you guys felt that way, but they seemed very much like the same character in, in my opinion when I was reading this. And, and, and Sin's memory of, not, of remembering everything is so ironic in the fact that she kind of blows her cover and forgets that she portrayed herself as only knowing two languages, and then she slips into doing a different language than what she told them. Miko is is Dell. Yes, Dell. Dell. Oh, Miko. see, see, I, I felt like he he was totally different than um, than Gideon because um, Gideon was kind of a dick. <laughs> I mean, well, I, yeah, that's true. That yeah, true. I mean, he's honestly to me, he felt like the as far as like you know outside of uh Aiden's father i felt like he was the the worst character in the book because at least with Staven i felt like i understood where you know i didn't necessarily agree with him but i at least understood where he was coming from um and and he didn't feel quite as evil um but Gideon like i said his his whole thing was you know he just, like I said, he saw them as as rodents, and even you know, you know, he basically just like murdered who was essentially his friend there for uh, a period of time, and you know, she even mentions that like his face is 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 in shock while he, you know, the, when she shows up and he's laying there dead. Um, so I, yeah, I felt like he he was um, a jerk, but you know, um, uh, Dell or, or Miko, he. He sort of had um, when he showed up. He had the blaster in his hand, but like he was basically distraught um, at at that point. So I felt like he was a much more um, uh, heartfelt character. You know, I, f I felt like he was. He seemed to actually be a good person. And um, so, in other words, you think Dell is more like me, and Gideon's more like you? Yeah, basically. Okay. I guess I should have just said it like that. Well, that's a really good way to put it, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I, I agree with you, Michael. Uh, I actually, uh, uh, I'm right there with you. I felt like Dell almost felt like a good old boy, you know? Like, he's just a mechanic. Uh, actually, what's funny, it, uh, Bruce, you'll get this, but he reminded me of Trip from Enterprise. That's who he reminded me of. That's kind of who I always heard in my mind when I was thinking of Dell, because he's the mechanic, he's the guy that loves to 
uh, just fix things. And he's kind of easygoing, laid back, you know. He probably likes pan-fried catfish, too. So, um, no, I, I, I... What I loved is that I connected with these characters in different ways, and the ones that I ended up liking the most in Inferno Squad were Aiden, Sen, and Del. And, yeah... Gideon was just kind of a jerk. Uh, he he lost me after like the, the first third of the book, where he just kind of showed his colors, and um, yeah, I was not a huge fan of him. So, um, and I, 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 what was most interesting too is uh, this is this whole thing is Admiral Garrick Versio's idea, and he's Aiden's father. And I gotta say, using your own kid. <laughs> yeah. To gain favor in the eyes of the empire. That's cold, man. That I mean that's that's cold. Well, and even even if it's temporary, completely destroying her entire reputation um in in the process. I mean, that was that was the main thing. And and her dying mother, you know, thinking that, "Oh, my daughter um just betrayed us," you know, and um yeah, that was, and and there was no guarantee that it was going to to actually play out. You know, he had no idea that the um, like what would happen if the dreamers just didn't have any interest in her. Was she just gonna rot in prison forever? And he'd just go, "Well, I gave it a shot. <laughs> didn't work out." He would probably hire a bounty hunter to get her out. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, I forgot the whole thing about her mother thinking that. She, uh, her daughter portrayed the the empire and and changed her ideals and her thoughts about things because I was really like I really felt sympathetic to that because she her her mother's dying and she's not going to know the truth that no she's an agent and that she this was all a setup she didn't portray the empire she's working for the empire and I was like really hoping that her mother would find out see again this is these are bad characters yet i'm i'm hoping right and I'm rooting yeah. for them you know and it's like and thankfully <laughs> her mother it's indicated that her mother was told right before she died so yeah. i was happy about that yeah well and, and that was the thing that was really interesting to see is that there is that glimmer of hope in her father that he's not just a complete a-hole you know who would use his daughter to gain favor in the eyes of the emperor, that he really he does care about his daughter, but that and and this is what's so interesting and 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 the kind of the comparison for I mean honestly there's there's really only one I think, um, but like the Hitler Youth, you know these children who have grown up uh, in the last twenty years that the empire has been in power have been just so indoctrinated. And and so have their parents at this point too. Like, you know, Garrick Versio is so sold out to the Empire that he's kind of lost any ability. It seems like to be fatherly, as if that's a bad thing. You know, like to care about your kid. Um, you know, it, it and it it just it was one of those things. And it's like that's the thing that sets apart the Empire still from even the dreamers is is that you know when we look at the dreamers we can see that you know there's that family uh the vushan family and they still at least love each other care about each other you know they're willing to die for their cause but they still totally you know show love and and care and respect and all those things for each other uh whereas you know garrick and his daughter Aiden and it is they have one moment in this book where you feel like, oh, that's a father-daughter moment, and then it's over at the snap of a finger, you know, and they're back to who they are. And so, I, I don't know. I I love I love that I I love these characters for Inferno Squad. The fact that she made me like them was just fantastic. Um, what characters for you stood out among the Dreamers? What were the what were your favorites among that group? Pikau. Oh, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> I was so... Oh, wait, wait, wait. Did you guys know that he's a Shadra fan? Yeah. Because... Okay, I just... I. You lost yeah. me on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I... Christy, I, I absolutely love your book. But I do have to say that she called him a Shadra fan way too many times. I think I think there was reason for that, though. I think that that was um, the exact same reason that she mentioned um, 
the eidetic memory so much because I, I was thinking the same thing about the eidetic memory and I'm like we get it she she has an eidetic memory but those were all to play a part later on um, when they were talking about his language so I, I think that the reason she did that was just to kind of keep reminding you he's the one that's different he's the one who has you know um, his own unique language so that when um uh, sin or saying or have uh, you know when she screws up, you're like, yeah, that's right, you know. Yeah, but but she, the the thing about it is, and I, we don't talk about it too much because it's it's a minor point. But when they're having their conversation, she specifically says that he's talking in his own language, as if they're having a private conversation. Um, it doesn't seem like that. Uh, Pekow only speaks Shadrafan. Right. Right. So it it was just one of those things like she said it a lot and I was just like I get it I know what he is you know mm-hmm. I I didn't need to hear it every like you could just call him Pecow and or you know him I don't anyway it was just <laughs> one of those things it just yeah. it was it it got and I was listening to the audiobook a little bit with my wife cuz I finished the book and she was still listening to it so we were listening to it in the car mm-hmm. and oh my gosh I kept like I get it I get it anyway, <laughs> um but no, he is a great character. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, he he was really fun. Uh and I loved his relationship with Dell and them figuring out what those strange robot-y, androidy things were. That I, was really interesting and I, I could have like used just like two more chapters of just them down there like trying to figure out what, what was going on with the, the statues. Yeah, the statues were were cool. Or robots mm-hmm. or whatever they really are with the the stuff in their head, the glowing crystal or whatever that was cool i like that idea well what was really neat about it was it it, it's a minor point but it's also one of the these really beautiful moments where the star wars universe just has that sense of mystery to it and we're not going to explain the entire mystery to you you know you still don't know who the people were on this planet or anything like that but that there's this sense of age and like i just i really i really like that um, and it, it turned out to be a lot of fun. For me, the character I liked the most was the mentor. And uh, I have to say the reason was <laughs> because quite early, uh, and Bruce, you can attest, I, I I thought through this and I finally texted you because I didn't want it to get ruined and then I couldn't say I was right. So I texted you the page number that I was on and I said, I think the mentor is Lux Monteri. Are you sure about that? I don't want and you to be disappointed. That's what you said. Uh, and then I was I was proven right. And and I but I the the fact that she made that poll from the Clone Wars was like genius. I mean, yeah. Christy is blowing my mind with how good she is at just kind of making this all feel so organic. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we got him in a book and got to see where he went, the fact that he had had a family, you know, and he had lost that family and everything. Like, this guy just has had a pretty awful life. But also the fact that Aiden grew close to him and that's who she saves. The fact that he gets to continue on and we could see him again in another book is brilliant to me. I just, I absolutely loved the reveal. It was a perfect use of the character and I couldn't have been happier that he didn't bite it in the end. <laughs> yeah, I, I was I was shocked by that actually. I, I really- yeah, me too, because I, I wasn't expecting that at all. Yeah, I, I kept going back and reading. I'm like making sure, okay, I read what I think I just read, right? <laughs> yeah, it was very, very interesting and, and yeah, uh, possibly- you know, I I felt like there was a bit of um, open open endedness to it that uh, you know maybe we'll get a little more later on. One thing though, I I, I kind of felt like, and, and just curious as to um, you know what you guys thought. I felt like that the um, you know the statues or the robe, you know the droids or golems or whatever they were, um, they felt like a metaphor to me. Um, I, I felt like that was Christy kind of saying something. Um, and, and I'm not 100% sure that I'm like, oh, it's it's specifically this. Because I'm like, well, maybe it's kind of this or that or whatever. But, you know, like she referenced them, uh, you know, Inferno Squad as the cleaners. And that's sort of what um, what they were doing. You know, their, their whole thing was, oh, well, dead bodies, let's just wipe them away, you know. And, and then like them talking about 
oh, that's why there was no civilization here because you know basically, basically they built something to completely just wipe them out in the end. You know, um, like granted that they were dead, but you know once it was all said and done, everything was removed, and it's like is that kind of um, what they're saying as they're you know, building their Death Stars and stuff for this war is basically they're just wiping themselves out and, and you know, just wiping themselves away from history. Um, I just, I thought it was interesting. Like I said, I, I felt like that, um, I felt like that that was, that was definitely her making a, a statement with those, uh, those creatures. So I was just sort of curious if, if you guys thought about that or if I'm uh, just sitting there, I'm the guy who's going, oh, the curtains were blue because it reflects this. And the author is like, no, the curtains were blue because the curtains were blue. <laughs> You know, I don't know if I'm reading too much into it. I don't know. Um, I hadn't thought about it, it, but I'm thinking about it now. So I don't really have an answer to that. Uh, but it's interesting as you're talking through that, the fact that they are removing dead bodies, they're cleaning things up. It's it's almost like a metaphor of correcting what's wrong. And that's what our agents are trying to do. And therefore... I mean, I'm I'm just kind of stretching here, but there could be, there's got to be something. They're just not there just to be there. You're right, though, and I'm trying to figure out what that would be. Maybe Matt knows. I, no, I, I I absolutely think you're 100% correct, Michael. Um, I because reading this book and and the whole idea that and and John Mills and I talked about this on uh, a it will be coming up this Tuesday as we're recording. Um, are aggressive negotiations, but the question of does does the empire create its own flashpoint for its destruction? Like, does it signal its demise because it's willing to go so far with the Death Star? And, uh, you know, to create a group like this who's willing to go out and, and hunt and sink and clean up, you know, this whole idea. And yeah, I really, I really do think that that seems to be what she's saying is that the empire is signaled its own doom because it's created that thing that the the galaxy can no longer just say what kind of what Jin was able to say in um Rogue One which is you know can you bear to see the imperial flag rain across the galaxy well it's not so bad if you don't look up mm-hmm. but when you have to look up at a death star blowing up planets then i think it's a little bit different you know, you've created something that you can't, you you can't not think about. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it's just too big not to think about at that point. Yeah, uh, the empire has has proven itself to be something that you 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 can't not just dismiss anymore. Yeah, that's I mean, brilliant stuff, Michael. So I'm glad you. Well, oh, hey, that I out. didn't write it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I know, double, and I think I, you Golden, know this is the thing uh, that that yeah. You know, Christy has created a book, and and what's great about Inferno Quad? It's not that long Mm-mm, of a no, book. No, not at all. It, it, but it moves at such a clip. It moves at such a pace. And and if there's anything I could say about it, is maybe, you know, if there was any critique that I really had other than using Shattered Fan too much, uh, I I think it might have just been a little bit too short. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I would have loved a little bit more detail. And 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 the book does move pretty fast, and there are some things where you're like, okay, well, you know, their plan worked perfectly. You know, the dreamers did come after her and, you know, you just kind of let all that go. But at the same time, it's also, it benefits from being so focused. You know, uh, the best books, and Bruce, we've talked about this before, in, in the new canon are the ones that know their focus um, and, and and tell one story really well. And I think this proves that point again is that, Christie is laser focused on this subject of um, mirroring between the Empire and the Dreamers and creating a sense of complete moral quagmire that we get stuck in and just kind of having so much to think about because of it. Uh, it it's a brilliant, it's just a brilliant move. Yeah, it's and, it doesn't have all the filler that some books have. Sometimes yes, you just feel yes. like, oh, they have to reach that word count and so they've put this other storyline in there that didn't seem to really do anything or just drag things on. Yeah. It had a great pace to it. And just like you said, focused on this is the story, this is the characters and we're keeping with them. We're staying with them through the whole book. And so you're invested more into the story and the characters when they do that. 
So I guess, I, you know, uh, talking through, and, and there's so much more, I think, in this book, you know, and, and we haven't really completely ruined everything. <laughs> you know, if you're still listening and you haven't read the book, you know, I'd say this is definitely one to go read. So yeah, uh, wh- what would you rate uh, Inferno Squad? What do you think, Bruce? Well, as we were just saying, it's very focused. Uh, I would say that I was really into it at first, and then when we got to the middle, I was starting to wonder where we were going. I was starting questioning things, but man, the payoff was there when we got to the end, for sure, which was really astounding. And the one thing I really wish we could do is, if somebody hasn't read this book, you don't want to reveal things at the end, but it's those things at the end that you want them to go read the book. So you can't say to them, yeah, you want to read this because Lux is in there. That'll be revealed later. You can't, you don't want to say that. So that's kind of frustrating, but no, I mean, it, I, I love the book. It was interesting. I would love to see a sequel. I don't know if we'll ever get that because this is based on the uh, battlefront two line right now. Uh, but maybe we'll see these characters in some other novels and stories that aren't necessarily a sequel to this, but maybe those characters will go into something else. So I would say that I would give this uh, four and a half robots out of five. Or statues, or whatever those <laughs> things are. I, I was really, I'm like, hmm, let me, let me think too. But uh, because my thing is, I, this is certainly one of my, my top books I, I would easily say it fits in the top five maybe the top three it may be my favorite book I, I need a little bit more time to kind of think and you know reflect back on on my other books that I, that I really love um, but I would say this is certainly one of the most important you know as far as uh, the details in this book uh, of where you know where like I said it ties into Rogue One it ties into Rebel Rising and it ties into uh, the Clone Wars, you know, with it tying into those things, I feel like it does what so many people have complained about the the new canon not doing, you know, and, and it, it felt like it mattered because I felt like, okay, this is a continuation of this or, you know, because I never even thought like, well, what happened to Saw's group, you know? I just pretty much I went, oh, okay, well, you know, whatever it was Saw and, you know, they kind of blew up Jeddah and, or Jeddah City, whatever, but I didn't think about like, well, you know, they were bigger than that, and and you know, you you learn a lot about that in, in Rebel Rising and stuff. And I like that they sort of, you know, they actually made that um, a, a storyline of like, okay, the Empire isn't going against the the Rebel Alliance here. Uh, we're actually going to go against uh, Saw's people. We're, we're specifically targeting them. So I think because of that alone, really makes this book a must read. Um, and, and on top of that, like I said, just all of the, um, you know, the psychological stuff with, um, you know, the characters and the ideologies and stuff like that, that they all have really, uh, makes it, uh, you know, gives it a lot of depth. So, um, I, I don't quite want to give it five stars, although I'm, I'm like hard pressed to, um, but I, I'll say maybe four and three quarter, uh, Shadra fans. <laughs> wow, I don't, I don't want to know about that. You know, three quarter of a Chadra fan. Hopefully, he just looks like missing an arm or something. Um, look, this is, this is the new canon and its best, in the sense that it's a focused story, as we talked about. So there isn't any filler. Uh, even, even the, you know, I think probably midway for the book, we're all thinking like, what is this robot story going to have to do with anything? And then it has, like, used to come up with this metaphor. You come out with um, the the way it bonds, you know, Dell and, and Pecow together. And, you know, it, it's... there. Chrissy Golden is batting a thousand right now in the new canon. Uh, and I think you said something really important, Michael, which is this is a book that feels important, even though you could never read this book, right, and be fine. Right, and it's not going to ruin anything for any stars. But once you read it, it feels like, oh my gosh, it connected Clone Wars and Rogue One and uh, A New Hope all together, and it gave us this whole backstory for the the Imperials and how they feel and and everything that's going on. It gave us more connection with the Dreamers and everything else. And I have to say this too: it also continues to confirm the wisdom of 
the story group of making it Saul Guerrero in the first place. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, like that that they didn't just make up another character. They realized they had the perfect character and they used them. And, and just to add to what you're saying, that's what's one thing that's sad about this book is it's called Battlefront 2. People are going to think it's a video game book, and there's so much connection to the other stuff, just like you're saying. I just wish it was just called Inferno Squad. Yeah, or, or it's a sequel, and you got to read the first one before you read this one. Right, right, absolutely, and you're right. It has nothing to do with those things. Um, and I, um, I do think it, 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 they should probably just stop with the Battlefront tie-ins and just call them the whatever it is, you know, Twilight Company and uh, Inferno Squad because these books stand on their own. So, you know, absolutely. I mean, I mean, this is this is a this is a great book, and I'm right there with you, Michael. I actually have this the exact same re- um, number. It's it's four point seven five out of five rare Alderanian wines. Uh, because that's that's just how good this book is, and so um, really excited that we got a chance to talk about this one. I'm just so excited it came out in the first place, uh, and can't wait to dive into the the next books that we have coming up for Star Wars. We've got the the Leia Princess of Alderaan book, which Claudia Gray, and then Delilah Dawson's Phasma, which you know Delilah Dawson writing that just sounds awesome. So yeah. we've got those coming up. The girls are doing months. it right. <laughs> yeah, they really are. They're just killing it. So uh, thank you so much for joining us, everyone. And um, really want to space. Really want to say a special thank you to our associate producers Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson for supporting us through Patreon and the Six Hundred Two Club uh, for their support. And you know. What we do here on Trek FM, there's so much going on. We have so many shows happening, and we definitely need your support to make sure that continues to happen. There's no way that the people behind the mic can make that happen on their own. And so go over to patreon.com slash trekfm, and you can see how you could support the network. Every little bit helps, and so just make sure... You go over and check it out. Uh, we have a lot of great perks that can come to you for different levels of support, and uh, we really want to say a, a huge appreciation to everybody who does that. Uh, and we're always looking for more team members, so go over to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can become part of the team. Well, uh, Michael, really appreciate you coming on to talk about this, and uh, let everybody know where they could find you if they want to talk more Star Wars or collecting. You're huge into collecting Star Wars and other things. Uh, where can they find you online, and what shows are you doing? Yeah, um, and thank you so much for having me. I, I was really excited about uh, coming on and, and doing this. So um, I, I do a uh, Star Wars gaming podcast, which is Cloud City Casino. So, of course, we're going to be talking about Battlefront and uh, probably even doing a little talk about this book on there. Um, but also I have my uh, Twitter and my uh, Instagram account that uh, I, li- I do post a lot of my, my collectibles. And uh, some of it's not all Star Wars. Some of it's Godzilla and other kaiju, if anyone likes that. Uh, and that's just, uh, you can find me at Morris Isley on those. And Bruce, where can everybody find you if they would like to talk some more Star Wars? Or uh, in fact, you have a real affinity for Star Trek books as well. So I do. As a matter of fact, as I'm talking right now, I'm in Las Vegas at the Star Trek convention. So, uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex, and you can find me talking Star Trek books and comics on Literary Treks right here on the network, and you can find me talking Star Wars on the Star Wars Report at StarWarsReport.com. You can also find me in the Babel Conference, as always. And just to mention, the Alderanian wine is called Tonnere. Hmm. Well, it's hard to find these days, guys, so don't get your <laughs> hopes up. And it's very expensive. Uh, it's it's kind of like those rare Thrawn figures from uh, San Diego Comic-Con, which Michael has. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. I'm also on Instagram under the same name. Matt Rushing 2 you can find me here on the network doing The Orb with Chris Jones, talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I talk about Star Wars on aggressive negotiations with John Mills. As I mentioned, uh, as of this recording, it'll come out the, the very next Tuesday. We're going to have a whole show about that whole idea of, of talking about whether the Empire made a mistake in blowing up Alderaan. Uh, they sealed their own doom, so make sure you check that out. You can also find me doing... Owl Post with Dre Kaufman, 
talking about each and every chapter of the Harry Potter series. Uh, and I have one more show, and that's called Cinema Stories. And we are talking about films through the lens of faith. So I hope that you will check that out. And I want to thank everyone so much for joining us. And may the Force be with you. Thank you.